Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Here we are, midwinter, anarchist world this week. Find what anarchy is all about. No, it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. Anarchos without rulers. A society without rulers. Not without rules. And what is one way, not the only way, one way of achieving a society without rulers? Devolve power, share wealth. Very simple. Very simple concept. You know, devolve power, share wealth. My name's Joseph Scar. I'm hosting today's program. Now... A few announcements, a few announcements, and then we'll get stuck into it. But uh, the first thing to announce is all those people who are involved in the Toscano for Duckling campaign uh, who are involved are uh, welcome, and anybody else interested, obviously, uh, welcome to come along on Sunday the 17th of July from midday to 3 p.m. There will be a lunch, not a sit-down kind of three-course lunch. Bring your own, bring some food, bring some uh, a plate for the table and some drinks. There'll be a lunch for all the workers involved and all those who are uh, supported the campaign. Uh, we will give a number of uh, reports on the campaign. So it'll be uh, this Sunday, the seventeenth of July, twelve p.m. to three p.m. or mid midday to three p.m. Meeting Room 2, which is a very large room, at the Frankston North Community Centre at 26 Mahogany Avenue in Frankston North. That's 26 Mahogany Avenue, Frankston North, at the Frankston Community Centre. If you go to the, if you go to the Facebook page, Toscano for Dunkley, which will close down the next week or so, and we will change that. We'll continue to a Facebook page, but we will change it from Toscano for Dunkley to Toscano for something else. So uh, that's uh, this Sunday, 17th of July, midday to 3pm, meeting room 2 at the Frankston North Community Centre, 26 Mahogany Avenue, Frankston North in Melbourne. Bring along food and drinks. Uh, All those workers who are involved in the campaign, come along, uh, listen to the uh, final report on the campaign and uh, meet like-minded people. And if you're in the mood... Join public interest before corporate interests, and we'll talk more about that later on. Now, those of you who are interested in esoteric uh, legal political battles, round eight. That's right. We enter round eight next Tuesday. That's the 19th 
That's the 19th of July, round eight. Dr. Joseph Toscana, yours truly, versus the Australian Electoral Commission dash Commonwealth Prosecutor's Office. Uh, this case is now, this is the eighth time it's appeared in court. It's gone from the Magistrates Court to the Supreme Court, back to the Magistrates Court. It'll be listed for hearing at 9.30am on Tuesday the 19th of July at the Moorabbin Justice Centre, 1140 Nepean Highway in Hyatt in Melbourne. That's the Moorabbin Justice Centre, 1140 Nepean Highway, Hyatt. Okay, come along and uh, have a look at this uh, David and Goliath battle regarding compulsory voting. That's right. It's on for... It's obviously a public court. Uh, Supporters are more than welcome. It'll be about half a day, most likely. It's the Moorabbin Justice Centre, Tuesday the 19th of uh, July, uh, 9.30am, 1140 Nepean Highway, Hyatt. So hopefully we'll see a few supporters there, those of you who've kind of come to the last uh, seven... Uh, attempts to resolve this case may like to come along to round eight. Okay, so that's the 9th of July. We'll have that information up on the AMI website and a few other websites in the next day or so. Now, let's get on to the program. Do you feel cheated? You know, I feel a little bit cheated, you know. Here we were, our great leader, Mr Malcolm Turnbull. He was going to bring stability Stability to the Australian people. Stability. I believed him. You know, I believed him. That's why I threw my uh, hat in the ring and um, stood as an independent in the electorate of Dunkley in uh, southern Melbourne. You know, I believed him. This is an election about stability. I was really excited. You know, the man makes a deal with the Greens, changes the uh, voting in the Senate where we go from a fully preferential system to basically an optional preferential system where it's not preferences that decide who the last senator is in each state but basically uh, more of a quota system. So we've got that. It's all set. Dr Di Natale does his little deal, Senator Di Natale, with the Greens do their little deal and everybody's hunky-dory. He announces the budget... Remember the budget? Yes, remember the budget, the 2016 budget, the corporate-friendly budget. He announced the budget and, hey, presto, calls an election before the budget actually is presented in Parliament. Uh, You may have forgotten that. We actually haven't looked at the budget in Parliament today. And we were told it's all about growth and jobs and stability. And And the campaign, you know, meanders on for a few months. Hey, presto, the election occurs. Ten days later, Mr Turnbull claims victory. I understand they've got 76 seats. Just enough for a majority, you know. Just enough. Just enough. And then when you look at the Senate, you think, hmm, crossbenchers. Unhappy crossbenchers. Obviously, you've got the old, the old guard, you've got the nationals the Liberals, the Labor. Then you've got uh, Xenophon Party, the Jackie Lambie Party, 
and the One Nation Party and then obviously uh, the Darren Hinch Justice Party. Now, all those of you who, who tell me that this was an election for independence, forget about that bullshit. This was an election for political parties. There are only two independents in federal parliament, only two, and that's Kathy McGowan in Shepparton and Andrew Wilkie in Hobart. Everybody else, every one of the 76 senators is a member of a political party. It may not be a large political party, but it is a political party. And every member, and every member bar two of the House of Representatives is a member of a political party. And it's quite interesting, these minor political parties, I really find it extraordinary that we have political parties that are named after individuals. You know, Jackie Lambie Party, Bob Catter Party, Pauline Hanson One Nation Party, Xenophon Team, whatever it is, political party. And I'm thinking, what's all this about? It's all about individuals, isn't it? But let's get back to let's get back to the situation. So here you have Malcolm Turnbull, the great saviour of the Liberal National Party. Dead man walking. Dead man walking. This is not a parliament which will be capable of making decisions. This is a Prime Minister who is interested in one thing and one thing only, survival. This is a government that is interested in one thing and one thing only, survival. That's the key. It's about political survival in a hostile situation. Now, considering all the three kicks, all the exposure the Liberal National Dross was given in the corporate-owned media, especially the Murdoch media, and to a lesser degree the Fairfax media, and the, you know, corporate-owned radio, and the World Wide Web, and the newspapers in this country, and all the exposure they were given on the Government Guild at ABC, which thinks there's only centre-left and right, you would think that Malcolm would have romped it in. Well, he thought he was going to romp it in. But ten days later, we don't even have a government which has been sworn into power. That's right. The government hasn't been sworn into power and won't be sworn into power until next week. Until next week. So what went wrong? What went wrong is that people began to think. They began to look at their own personal situation and compared it to the rhetoric. Compared it to the rhetoric. The rhetoric that we live in an egalitarian community. And they decided in droves that this wasn't for them. This wasn't for them. So, Malcolm, I reckon all these Betty agencies should start a book on what day in 2017, I'll give you the rest of 2016, 
but what day in 2017 will you be knifed by your own party? Because, see, the Conservatives and the Liberal National Party run the branches. Liberal Liberal National Party, or the Liberal Party and the National Party, are not the parties that we all thought they were once. Not about liberalism and uh, freedom. They're all about maintaining corporate power, whether it's the National Party's uh, marriage to corporate agriculture, whether it's the Liberal Party's marriage to corporate business. The fact is, Liberal National Party's never been about... It's not about individual liberty. It's about corporate power. And they want small government because they want corporations to increase their power. And that's a dilemma that we face as a society because during this campaign... There is one segment of society, one very important segment of society, which escaped Scott III in most political discussion and discourse in this country. And that was the corporate sector and the fact that they pay voluntary taxation and the fact that real power in this country no longer lies in Parliament. It lies in the boardrooms of unaccountable corporations whose major responsibility is to make ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders irrespective of the human, social and national costs. This was an election which divided people. It divided people in terms of racial origin, in terms of religion, in terms of sexual orientation, in terms of gender. It was a divisive election. And the political parties that we have seen that have been elected are parties which are dividing this nation on the base of gender, sexual orientation, religion, race, culture, language. And the biggest losers, the biggest losers in this election was not Malcolm Turnbull, who came home, you know, scraped into the skin of his teeth, but the biggest losers are those who describe themselves as progressive and left. The Greens' flirtations with the Liberal National Party spelt disaster for them at the polls. Not only have they lost possibly two senators, they didn't even gain one seat. Because how did the Liberal Party thank the Greens for allowing the changes to the Senate to go through, which allowed Mr Turnbull to call a double disillusion election by putting the Greens last on their preference sheets and denying them seats in inner city seats in this country. And the great winners were those who think, who think, who believe that the problem is a person's religious affiliation the fact there are too many mosques, the fact that somebody may be Jewish, the fact that somebody 
may be an Indigenous Australian. These are the people who won this election. And we allowed them to do so because of the poverty, the poverty of the response to the rise of these divisive forces in our country. Real poverty of response. So I'm Secretary and National Convener of, of a organisation called Public Interest Before Corporate Interests. And this is a social movement as well as a political party. And we are unashamedly looking for members because in order to stop this tsunami of hatred, in order to stop the social dislocation which is occurring, and we'll go through this later on in the program, because of these corporate-friendly policies which nobody is willing to address, the time has come for a social movement and a political organisation which is actually based on inclusiveness, not division, which understands that the central problem which faces us as a community is the fact that power does not lie in Parliament. That power continues to lie in the boardrooms of unaccountable corporations who dictate not only economic policies but social, cultural trends in this country. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, 365 days a year, 366 in a leap year, which dictate the way we as a society think. Now, public interest before corporate interest has over 700 members and currently we're looking for, for, for more members. It doesn't cost anything to join. And we're looking for, for, for more members because we need to move out of these little ghettos, these little intellectual ghettos, these little ideological ghettos, which we as individuals and groups feel safe in and get out into the real community. And that's what public interest before corporate interest does. And will continue to do. Our current aim... Our current aim is to create a movement. I know it sounds grandiose, but everything starts with a first step. To create a movement which is actually able to challenge those sections of our society who believe that the answer to the problems that we face as a community is the other, is ostracising the other, is pointing the finger at somebody who looks different, worships differently. And that's the dilemma that we need to tackle. And we need to tackle it every day. Not just through a social movement, but a political party. So if you want to join public interest before corporate interest, it's simple. As I said, there is no application fee. There's no cost. If you want to join, you can download the application form from the net. 
Pibsi, P-I-B-C-I dot net. You can go to the Facebook page, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests. You can give me a ring on 0439 395 489. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. So it doesn't matter where you live in Australia. What's important is that we become involved in this struggle to actually point the bone. That's right, point the bone at the real issues which face us every day. Point the bone at sections of society which has pauperised this nation, not just in terms of economically, but in terms of ideas. Pauperised us. And those of you who are wondering how we did in the Dunkley election, well, again, you won't believe this. The vote hasn't still been finalised. There's about another nine to 10,000 postal votes to read. But currently we are coming 7th out of 11th. We received 1.3% of the primary vote. Uh, we're ahead of four political parties, the Arts Party, Rise Up Australia Party, the Liberal Democrats, and somebody else. Somebody else who are... Oh, yeah, the Australian Christians and uh, biting at the heels of Family First. So it was a relatively successful campaign. We can say that one in 80 people in one little corner of Australia, the electorate of Dunkley, 105 square kilometres, the southern suburbs of Melbourne, the outer suburbs of Melbourne, were willing to put up their hand for a radical platform which made the wealthiest 1% pay 1% in order to ensure that the public as a whole actually had access to the resources that are necessary that have made us the type of society we are. So have you been thinking about it and you're thinking, what can I do? It's all too hard. I'm too old. I can't be bothered. What's the point? Well, give us a Join us, public interest before corporate interest. Become involved in what I believe will be one of the most important social and political movements that's been created in this country. And it hasn't been created in the mass media. It's been created through the efforts of people who have said enough is enough and that we need to band together to ensure that the Australia that we hear about in the rhetoric we hear about every day, becomes a reality that all of us, irrespective of who we are, have access to the basic necessities of life in this country because, and I'll say it again, and I'll say it till I stop broadcasting, 23 million people living on a continent, we should, of every sovereign nation on this planet, we should be able we should be able to address the social problems which are becoming more pressing every day in this country. Instead of turning the big guns on so-called social security fraud, we should be turning the big guns on the corporate sector and corporate fraud. But see, it's not fraud in their case because they do it legally. 
They don't actually have to cheat. I mean, Mr Murdoch can get an $186 million tax refund legally while making millions of dollars of profit. He can do it legally. And the tax office doesn't even bother to appeal. I mean, these people can do it legally. They don't need to break any laws because there are no laws to break. They are, they are, you know, they are God as far as this country is concerned. They can do no wrong because there are no laws which prevent them from actually contributing to the public coffers. They expect, you know, a stable government. They expect infrastructure. They expect an intelligent, you know, well-trained workforce, which they can exploit to maximise their profits, a workforce which is trained, you know, through public money. But they don't expect to actually contribute. They can't be bothered contributing. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. This program is broadcast in every state across Australia. My name is Joseph Toscano. Uh, if you want to l- learn more about anarchism, go to the website anarchismedia.org. You can ring us on 0439 395 489. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. Interested in public interest before corporate interests? Want to go become a member? Go to the website, pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Download an application form. Don't use a computer. Don't despair. Give us a ring on 0439 395 489. We'll post you out an application form. Haven't got a phone? Got a pen? Write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. All right, let's move on. Security. I mean, a government's major role is theoretically to provide a secure environment for all its citizens. And Australians are beginning to wake up that there are issues, major issues, regarding personal safety and personal security in this country today. And the cry goes up for harsher laws, harsher penalties, longer prison sentences, yawn, yawn, yawn. You've heard it all before. Now, very few people are actually looking at the reasons there is an escalation in crime in this country, especially in the major capital cities. There has been a discernible escalation in crime and a statistical escalation in all the avenues of life, like homelessness, that you care to look at. What we are seeing is society fraying at the edges. Not fraying in the suburbs, but at the edges. Things are beginning to fall apart. And it's no accident that things are beginning to fall apart at the very height of the deregulation, privatisation, corporatisation and globalisation mania. And every day you hear 
stories about 457 visas, about international students, about locals being ripped off by unscrupulous employers and the fact and the fact that there is nothing anybody can really do regarding what is a epidemic epidemic in various industries in this country and what people seem to under, don't seem to understand is that this increase in crime this increase in social isolation this increase in self-harm this increase to a significant degree in violence in the home is to a large degree totally directly related to the fact that we have had major changes in the society which have allowed people to be treated as disposable garbage. In that race for the almighty dollar, we have seen large sections of this community marginalised, ostracised and denied a future. We now have a no future generation, irrespective of whether you access education or not. We now have large sways, especially in regional cities and capital cities, of people, both young and old, who are no longer needed, who have been displaced and pushed aside because of changes which have occurred, which have, one, destroyed the trade union movement, which have made it almost impossible for workers to collectively bargain to protect the interests of their members. Well, in this country, it is illegal to take strike action outside a sanctioned enterprise bargaining agreement period illegal and if you do they don't put you in jail they take away your assets it's beautiful isn't it they take they don't want martyrs they just take away your assets so what happens when you don't have a trade union strong trade union movement or a strong workplace movement what happens when people can't collectively bargain what happens when you remove regulations which are there to protect individual workers, what happens? What happens is what we see in Australia today, where you have international students who are exploited by small business and large business, paid 8 to $10 an hour when the casual rate is 16 to $22 an hour, totally exploited, we have tens of thousands of 457 visas coming into this country to do the work that can be done by locals. We have an immigration system which brings in skilled migrants because we are no longer willing, corporations and governments are no longer willing to train locals because it's cheaper 
to bring across somebody who's been trained overseas than to actually train people here. It is cheaper to exploit people who come here on student visas or 457 visas. It's cheaper to exploit them because these are non-unionised. This is a non-unionised workforce. It is cheaper to exploit them to actually pay real wages to residents and citizens in this country. So what we are seeing is the displacement of young people, especially young people who are not suited or or do not wish to take advantage of higher education. We are seeing them displaced and squeezed by a social security system which sees them as the problem. So what happens when you break down the structures that have been put in place to create a secure society? It's no accident that the social security system is called a social security system. It is a system which is put in place to ensure security, not just for those people who find themselves in a difficult situation where they're unemployed or single parents or or disabled, it is there to protect the rest of the community by providing the needs, by providing for the needs of those who are unable to support themselves. That's why it's called social security. Simple concepts like that, we have forgotten what it's about. We, have, we, we are busy, the gov- governments of the day and oppositions of the day are busy making holes in that social security net so that more and more people are falling through those holes. And when you're part of a new start, new start allowance system which is so onerous that you can't jump through the hoops or unwilling to jump through the hoops, or find it difficult to jump through the hoops and you find yourself of any type of social support, what do you do? You gravitate into homelessness, couch surfing, despair, internalise your despair. It's no accident that in this country we have one of the we have a one of the highest suicide rates in this country. It's no accident, especially among younger people. It's no accident because we have created, we have allowed the creation of a no future generation, no future generations. And we think, we are told that the solution to this problem is to create meaningless, poorly paid jobs. That's the solution. What a load of crap. What a load of total crap. So what do you expect people to do? Obviously crime increases. Obviously social dislocation increases. Obviously personal issues escalate. Obviously violence at home and in the community escalates. And you cannot legislate your way out of this situation by increasing the number of laws to deal with the situation, by increasing the number of police, by increasing the number of jails, by increasing the number of prison guards. All you do is you create more social dislocation. 
So it's really a matter of joining the dots. And why should people who find themselves on the margin, who are ostracised and marginalised, as an ideological program, you know, government-focused ideological program, why should they have any respect for the institutions that do this to them? Why would they bother to participate in the electoral process? Why would they have any respect for the courts? And the list goes on and on. And that's the situation we find ourselves in 21st century Australia. We are creating 19th century problems. You would think of all people, Australians would realise, you know, a convict colony, start off as a convict colony where, you know, the British Crown attempted to export its social dislocation, its social problems, you know, to the other end of the earth, that we would understand, of all people, that you can't legislate your way out of this issue. This is a political problem because for far too long, we have allowed, we have allowed those people who trumpet the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation and corporatisation mantra, we have allowed them and continue to allow them to dominate every aspect of our lives. The fact that we've had a parliamentary election means nothing. It's not a matter of waiting another three years for another parliamentary election, hoping it'll change. It's a matter of creating that social movement which demands change, whether it's through parliamentary means or extra-parliamentary means. And it needs to be created now. Not tomorrow, not in a year's time, not in a decade's time, but now. Because as a people, we have forgotten our history. We have forgotten our history. Everything that we take for granted today came through the blood, sweat and tears of generations of people living on this continent. You think Medicare just appeared? It didn't just appear in 1974 when it was called Medibank. It didn't just appear. It appeared after decades of political struggle to ensure that all Australians, irrespective of how many coins in their pocket, had access to basic health care. Do you think that a minimum wage occurred, something which has now been sabotaged, by the deregulation crown, sabotaged. You think it just miraculously appeared? It appeared after generations of Australians fought for that minimum wage. And the list goes on and on. And on and on and on. Do you think social security benefits just appeared? I mean, it had to take... It wasn't until the Whitlam Labor government passed legislation to give single parents a pension that we actually had any support for single parents in this country. That single mothers especially were forced to give up their children for adoption because there was no support apart from family support. And there was little family, if any, family support in those days. So what we have created 
what has been created through the blood, sweat and tears of generations of Australians has now been torn up, pushed out of the door, trashed, forgotten. Forgotten how it was created. And it wasn't created through parliamentary elections. All parliamentary elections do in the long run is actually allow issues that have been raised in the community to be decided. They allow those issues, but if they're not raised beforehand, those issues were not raised. For example, it was only the Toscano for Dunkley campaign which raised the issue of corporate revenue. I mean, the campaign, as I said, which attracted you know one in 80 voters in a liberal hell seat, voted. First preference vote, over a 1,000 people voted to make the wealthiest 1% pay 1%. Because we understand that this is an issue about revenue. It's not an issue about squeezing people on social security benefits or squeezing wage earners or the working poor. This is an issue about revenue coming from the corporate sector. And this was something which was not raised. And it's never raised. And you know why? Because the corporate-owned media you know, determine the agenda. You may say to me, well, Joe, we've got the internet, we've got social media, we've got Facebook, so bloody what? So what? The running every day is still made by the legacy media, which set the political, social and cultural agenda, which the rest of us then respond to. And that's the difference between the Anarchist World this week and other radio programs. We don't respond to their agenda. We don't snap at their heels like little dogs waiting to be kicked aside. We create the agenda. We determine what is important and then we act and work round those issues to make them prominent issues. Occasionally we succeed. Most times we don't. But the fact that we're involved in that struggle does have a wider influence. And it can't be done by one person. And it can't be done by ten people. It needs to be done by tens of thousands of people in this country. But we don't see it. Because what we see is the privatisation of political discourse. We see the privatisation of angst and anger and dispossession where we internalise, internalise that hurt and say, it's our problem. If only I had access to the right drugs, legal or illegal. If only I won Tats Lotto. If only, you know, God, you know, lifted me out of the situation I find myself. If only, if only, if only, if only, if only. Dreams do not, in 99.9% of cases, come true because they're dreams. It's not if only. It's because people think that somehow... It's somebody else's job to resolve their issues, that it's their personal job to resolve their issues. They need to go to therapy. 
They need to do this and do that. And it's just extraordinary how many organisations there are in this community which are theoretically supposed to help people in times of need. And when they want to access that help, in 99.9% of cases, it falls on deaf ears because they're not real organisations. They're there in paper form, but not real form in terms of providing that need. And again, to a large degree that has occurred because we've seen the privatisation of social welfare where no longer the government of the day is responsible for the welfare of the individual, that welfare of that indi- of the, in the individual and of the community has been outsourced to a privately run organisation that makes a profit of dealing with homelessness, that makes a profit of dealing with the unemployed. It's quite extraordinary. I mean, as I said before, look at look at Menace Island and Nauru. It's fallen off the radar currently until, you know, there are four more, more self-immolations. Fallen off the radar. One billion dollars goes to a private organisation to look after, in inverted commas, less than 3,000 people. $300,000 per individual. You could put them up in the bloody Sheraton, in the penthouse, for a year. And you wouldn't pay 300 grand. But that's the dilemma. We do have waste, but it's not waste in terms of welfare. It's terms in waste in terms of the fact that the little bit of money that comes in to the Treasury, which basically comes from pay-as-you-earn taxpayers, over 70%, is wasted. Outsourcing, outsourcing, outsourcing. Just extraordinary. It's the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia and the Community Radio Network. And I'm Joseph Scott and I'm hosting today's program. Let's move on to the concept of a mixed economy because a lot of people don't seem to understand what a mixed economy is because we don't have a mixed economy anymore. We have what's called a private economy, a corporate-driven economy. What's a mixed economy? A mixed economy is an economy where you've got assets which are owned by the public through the government of the day or through collectives and cooperatives and assets which are owned by private corporations. And you've got this constant competition. And those assets which are owned by the government of the day and collectives and cooperatives, and we've got to remember that collectives and cooperatives are less than 0.1% of the uh, work infrastructure or social infrastructure in this country, less than 0.1%. So basically it's publicly owned, privately owned. And what we've seen over the last four decades is the ratio has radically altered. And we saw it with the privatisation of Commonwealth Bank, which was a state-owned bank, owned by the government of the day, which had a government guarantee. When the Commonwealth Bank was privatised, courtesy of the Australian Labor Party, commonly known as the Alternative Liberal Party, when it was privatised, the only break on the private banks in terms of competition was removed. And the private banks formed an unofficial cartel which allowed them to escalate their fees and charges. And if you look at the profits which are made by the privately owned banks 
A significant proportion of their profits, over 40%, don't come from smart investments, but come from fees and charges. While there was a Commonwealth Bank, there was downward pressure placed on those fees and charges. For example, let's look at healthcare. The destruction of Medicare, and you can privatise Medicare in many ways, not just by overtly privatising, but by trying to destroy it, by making it uneconomic for bulk billing medical practice continue to bulk bill, and that's what the Turnbull government wanted to do and wants to continue to do, to force bulk billing practices to charge upfront fees. While you've got a strong bulk billing percentage in the community, while the majority of doctors continues to bulk bill and accept the government rebate for their efforts, that puts downward pressure, downward pressure on healthcare costs. It's no accident that over 17% of the USA's GDP goes on healthcare costs, while less than 9% of GDP in Australia goes on healthcare costs. And that has occurred because since the introduction of Medicare, or Medibank and then Medicare in 1973-74 to today, there has been a mixed economy as far as private healthcare is concerned. And there's been downward pressure on prices. And that has kept the healthcare budget at a reasonable level as far as the gross domestic product is concerned and as far as providing services to the community. And when you get organisations as conservative as the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners do ads during the election campaign saying it's what we don't want to create a health system where it's what's in your pocket that matters, not what your medical issue is, you realise we have a problem. A simple example, when Medibank Private existed as a government-owned entity, and remember, Medibank Private was privatised by the Abbott government. This was a corporation or a business which was publicly owned, which returned over $100 million to the taxpayer, to the Treasury, every year. And when it was privatised, what happened? The first thing that happened is that the competition within the sector decreased. Private insurance fees escalated and that meant a greater impost on the public purse because 40 cents in every dollar of private health insurance costs is met by the public. That's right, $6 billion every year goes to the private health insurance industry and that increases every time their fees increase. And the fact that Medibank Private was privatised lifted the lid on competition. And what actually happened is there was no competition. You have unofficial cartels which are formed by three or four large corporations which dominate a particular field of human endeavour in this country. And that's the problem. That is the problem which faces us as a community. What we've seen is an ideologically driven agenda by the Liberal National Party to privatise every public asset, therefore escalating costs, whether it's electricity, whether it's gas, 
whether it's health care, whether it's education, the list goes on and on. Even in public schools now, a lot of parents are finding they've got to fork out two to three grand every year in order for extras which aren't provided because so much money goes from public schools into private schools. Now, people had an opportunity at this election, but they tried but failed. They didn't have an opportunity. It was there. And the dilemma is, while we continue to fight amongst ourselves on the basis of religious belief, on the basis of the colour of our skin, on the basis of our culture, racial origins, language we speak, we will find that the corporate sector will continue to escape scrutiny and will continue to escape the pressure which is needed to ensure that they pay their way in this society. They need to pay their way. And it's up to people like us to ensure they pay their way. If they want the security of this country, if they want to trade in this country, if they want to, you know, use the workforce in this country to augment their profits, if they want to have access to the natural resources in this country, it's time they were forced to pay. It's very simple. It's a very simple concept. It's not hard. Think about it. You've been listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. If you're involved in the Toscano for Dunkley campaign, don't forget... Sunday, 12 to 3, lunch, bring, bring, food, bring a plate of food and some drinks, 26 Mahogany Street, North Frankston, all welcome. Don't forget my little esoteric court case. Round 8, Dr Joseph Toscano versus the Australian Electoral Commission, Commonwealth Prosecutor's Office, Moorabbin Justice Centre, 1140 Nepean Highway, Hyatt, Melbourne, 9.30am, Tuesday the 19th. Of July. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Don't forget to listen in to the Anarchist World this week via the community radio network on your local community radio station next week. That number again, 0439 395 489. Websites, anarchistmedia.org. Pibsi, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Facebook page, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, Toscano for Dunkley. The list goes on and on. Write to us, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Listen in next week to the Anarchist World This Week. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction an analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.